following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you, thank you, Yes. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. All right, we're going to do three things right now. Number one, we're going to give a hand clap for all those that have come back for the first time from COVID quarantine today. We're going to give them a hand. And secondly, we're going to give a hand for the builders and the people that's helping us get this church ready for December the 14th. We're going to have a Christmas present over here. I've already got my Christmas sermon together. It's going to have Jesus in it, but it's going to have building too. But what a joy to have a church moving forward even in this pandemic time. And thirdly, next Sunday, which is Labor Day Sunday, and if you're not laboring, it's a day to come to the house of God. And so we're going to look for you. Don't let vacation take you away. You've had a whole summer to vacate and vacate. But next Sunday, our, our children, zero to four, will be welcomed back to church. We're starting small and, and letting our kids come back. We'll have teachers for them. We'll have Sunday school places for them. So all you, those that's listening in the foyer, in the overflow, and those that's listening online, next Sunday is our first children's day. And, of course, it will continue to expand and broaden and become a wonderful work again for the church. It was, a, it was an awesome thing. Some people, new people that had have joined us during the pandemic. We had, a, we had a wonderful day with them. They asked us to go have a, a bite of lunch with them the other day. And they, the man asked me, he said, how long you been here? And I told him, he said, well, how, how many do y'all run normally? And I said, oh, about three. He said, 300 or? I said, no, the other. He said, oh, my God. I said, sir, we're in a pandemic. And a lot of churches not even having church. Now, I hear John Hagee down in San Antonio said, take the mask off and worship Jesus. He's a rebel without a cause. He don't need a cause. John Hagee's just a rebel. But what a joy to have you here today, mask or no mask, you're in the house of God, and we honor you today with everything that's in our heart, and we thank you for coming to God's house today. I want you to stand up. I'm going to preach to you. Last Sunday was a wonderful day for me. It was my 50th anniversary. It was my Jubilee year. You know, it's an amazing thing. You don't have to clap for that. You did last week. But it's an amazing thing. <clears throat> It's an amazing thing how 50-year cycles take you back to the very day, the very moment, and it repeats the calendar all over again the whole year. It's amazing how God just fixes everything just right, doesn't He? It's amazing. All the leap years added in, all that stuff, and it's back on that. It wasn't a Thursday. It wasn't a Wednesday. It was a, it was a Sunday. And so God bless you. Thank you for letting me start my 51st year here. Let me tell you something. I feel good. I, I, I think I'm still thinking good. Do Emma? Emma? All right. How do I look? All right. All right. I'm going to speak today on how He loves us. I'm going to talk about love today. And I want to preach it in a way that it'll get a hold of your, as mom used to say, if the gospel don't get in your gizzard, it's not working. It gets down in your soul. I want this gospel to get down in your soul today. Galatians chapter 3 Paul writes to the church at Galatia, For in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew nor Greek, I love this, no longer slave nor free. There is no longer male nor female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Him, Christ, 
then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Everybody say, He loves us big time. I'm going to share that with you today. Say amen. <clears throat> Walk out of here better than you were when you came in. I love you. You may be seated. <clears throat> I was reading after author Ned Hollowell recently, and he said there's five elements that we need in our childhood to allow us to experience joy as an adult. The first is unconditional love from at least one adult in our life. That's the first. It promotes self-esteem and encourages us to, to be friendly and be in a friendly place in our life. The second is discovering your passions through your playtime and through play. Most of us in our unstructured playtime discovered where our true talents and passions lay, like telling stories or building backyard forts or taking a toaster apart or baptizing animals. That's what I did. Or sports, all genre of sports. I played everything. I was the announcer, I was the athlete, and I was the fans. And when the announcer said he hits one, the fans went crazy as I went around the bases as a kid. The third thing is practicing your passion. Many people say, masters say, that 10,000 hours doing any one thing, you become a master at it. And so if a kid played back in our day four hours a day on anything, put seven years on him, and he would be a master of his craft. Which leads me to the fourth point, mastering your passions. Makes one less afraid to try new things when you know that you got this down so you can do something else in your life. And the fifth is positive recognition from others. Everybody needs to be affirmed from time to time. You need to be affirmed at home. You need to be affirmed on your job. And you need to be affirmed in the house of God. You know, God gave ten commandments to Moses and the children of Israel, but Jesus came and He added one more. And here's the Lord's commandment, John 13. He said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Folks, he said it twice in one verse. Then he comes right back in verse 35, and he said, By this all men shall know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Do you think the Lord's trying to broadside us with the love of God? Do you think He's trying to broadside us with a thing called love? He wants the church to love one another. He doesn't want the church to hate. He wants the church to love. Lucy stands, a little peanut girl, Lucy stands with her arms folded with a re in a resolute expression on her face while Charlie Brown pleads, Lucy, you must be more loving. This world really needs love, and you have to let yourself love to make this world a better place in which to live. And Lucy whirls around very fast and angrily, causing Charlie Brown to do a backwards flip, and she screams at him, Look, blockhead, the world I love, it's people I can't stand. <laughs> or as one man said to me years ago, as I preached on the love of God at a, at a place one time, a conference, he came up to me and he said, God made a beautiful world, preacher. Then he filled it with ugly and unlovable people. To which I responded, sir, beauty's in the eyes of the beholder. To which he responded, then I need some new eyes. My wish is that the church could so feel the express love of Jesus Christ that we could add the 11th commandment in John to our lives, that we would love one another, that we would care for one another, that when we go out we don't take the world's attitude, we take God's attitude out. 
and we love people. I read about a Christian psychologist who counseled a lady who felt lonely and she felt abandoned. And as she explained her feelings, he couldn't concentrate on what she was saying because there was a scripture that kept running through his mind. And it was Psalms 100 verse 3. And I'm going to put it on the screen and leave it till I ask you to take it off. David said, it's he who has made us and not we ourselves. And this verse had no apparent connection with her problem, and, but he couldn't stop thinking about it. That's all he could think about. So he wasn't really listening to what she had to say. And then she finished talking and then sat in silence waiting for his response. And the doctor didn't know what to say other than quote the verse that God had put in his head. And although he realized it might sound foolish and it might sound unrelatable, he said, I think God wants you to know something, that it's He who has made us and not we ourselves. Does that mean anything to you? And the woman broke down and cried. After composing herself, she explained what it meant. She said, I didn't tell you this, doctor, in the first part of my, of my meeting today, but my mother got pregnant before she was married, and I was an out-of-wedlock child. And all my life I believed I was a mistake. And I believed I was an unplanned accident, and that God didn't create me. And because He didn't create me, He didn't love me. And when you quoted that verse... I pictured in my mind God forming me in my mother's womb. Now I know that God created me, and I know I'm not a mistake, and I'll never be the same again. You know who wrote that verse? David wrote that verse. And David said, in sin my mother conceived me. David had to come to a resolution in his own life that even though he was an unplanned child, perhaps through a Gentile woman, perhaps Jesse stepped outside because sin does not create babies unless you sin to create babies. But I want to tell you, there may be, some, there may be some, some, some relationships that are not right with God, but there's never a child born that's not right with God. Everybody here matters. Everybody here matters. I love the song, How He Loves Us. God's love for us is enormous. It's extravagant. It's endless. God doesn't love us sometimes. He loves us all the time. And He doesn't love us conditionally. He loves us unconditionally. Can you clap your hands for that right now? He is a God that made us. Thank you for that. Thank you. I love this verse. I'm going I'm to throw some word at you today. I'm going to throw, and it's very little preaching, but I'm going to throw some word at you today. I love Psalms 36 in the message version. It says this, God's love is meteoric. <laughs> that means very fast and brilliant. If you didn't know that, I put it in there. Peterman, Peterson didn't put that in there. I put that in there. said, His loyalty is astronomic. His purpose, titanic. His verdicts, oceanic. Yet in His largeness, nothing gets lost. Not a man, not a mouse slips through the cracks. I love Ephesians chapter 3. Paul wrote, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Ephesians 5, Paul wrote, Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but it was extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of Himself to us. And then John writes it this way. The beloved writes it in 1 John 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. 
The Bible said in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Can I tell you, I have thrown love at you from four powerful scriptures today, back to back to back to back. And you need to get that in your heart right now. You need to let it swell up in your soul right now. I read a beautiful story years ago about a man who died in an insane asylum. And when they come to remove his body, they went in to clean up the room that he had had for a number of years. And on the wall, they realized that he was a poet and he had a lot of writings on the wall. But one thing that he wrote, he understood something that you and I need to get a grasp on. He wrote this poetry. If we with ink the ocean fill, and were the sky of parchment made, wherever stalk on earth was a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. If a man that people thought was insane could get that concept, somebody here with sanity in your life ought to get a hold of the fact that God loves us with an everlasting love. But see, knowing that in our heads doesn't always translate it to holding it in our hearts. Yet when a person is unaware of God's love, it does not change God's love. When we don't feel His love, it doesn't lessen His love. The reality is that there's often a distance of God's love, but the distance is not with God to us. It's us to God. And even though God's great love is demonstrated on the cross, the truth is we often don't feel the love of God. And the lack of feeling God's love is more about us than it is about Him. We drastically underestimate God's love for us. And I'm going to give you three reasons why I think that. I want you to write these down and they'll be on the notes after church. It's so easy to feel common to God. It's so easy to feel common. It's very common to us to feel common to God. An ordinary day, a bad day, a situation day, we start feeling very common that God doesn't care about our days. Since there are almost 8 billion people in the world, and how could a God see me as being special to Him? How could He possibly be jealous for me? In Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables with the same theme. He tells the story of a lost sheep that was lost knew it was lost, but didn't know how to get home. He tells the story of a lost coin, a coin that was lost and didn't know it was lost and didn't know how to be found. Then he tells the story of a lost son, a son that was lost, knew he was lost, but knew how to be found. And so, like an attorney making his case, Jesus is driving home his message that every individual, every single person that He made, that He created, is a very important person to Almighty God. It's easy to feel common. But when Peter was on the roof as a Jew, having received the Spirit in Acts 2, and received it again in Acts 4, he's on a roof in Acts 9, because there's a man praying named Cornelius. And Peter's on a roof, and all of a sudden God lets a vessel down. He's waiting for lunch at the sixth hour. And God lets a vessel down, and around that vessel is a sheet, and in that sheet's all manner, all manner of unclean animals. And the Lord says, Rise, slay it, and eat it, Peter. And Peter said, Lord, I don't eat that that's common or unclean. 
And the Lord let the sheet come down again and said, Rise, Peter, slay and eat. And God said to him, What I have cleansed, don't you ever call it common. Look at somebody and say, The Lord has blessed my life. Say it, The Lord has blessed my life. The Lord has put me down in water baptism. I've received the Spirit of the Lord in my life. He's changed my way. You hear me. There is nothing common about that. You are a child of God. The second thing, not only is it easy to feel common, it's easy to feel alone. It's so easy. It's the exact opposite of the feeling of being common. But even though there's 8 billion people in this world, we sometimes feel like we're all by ourselves. Words like, it's my problem, Pastor. I don't need any help. It's my problem. It's my battle to fight. It's my issue to sort out. Why are you saying that? Like the dad that told his son, he said, son, go move that rock out of the road. And the son went out there to push it, and he pushed and pushed, and he couldn't do anything with it. He came back, and his dad said, son, did you push it out of the road? He said, no, Daddy, I couldn't. He said, did you use every means necessary? He said, I did. I did everything I could. He said, no, you didn't. He said, yes, I did. He said, no, you didn't. He said, what did I like? He said, you didn't ask me to help you. I'm your daddy. Let me tell you something. <laughs> when you're alone, all you got to do is say, Lord, I need a little help down here. Come on now. I need a little help down here. Come on. God sees it differently. While you're working actively to try to work something out alone, God says, if you'll invite me into your party, I will help you through this situation. Can somebody in the foyer say amen? Can somebody at house say amen? And can somebody in the chapel say amen today to that? We're never out of his sight. Matthew said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. The Hebrew children went in a fire furnace one day, and the king that threw them in said, Hey, <laughs> there's somebody else down there walking with them. Look like the Son of God. You're never by yourself in the fiery situation. And when Moses was exiled for murder to the backside of the desert, defending the honor of God's name, 40 years in the desert, God said, I am with you. During this pandemic, four months now, five months going on five, I am with you. Let, let's say it together. He said, I am with you. Say it by yourself. I am with you. I am with you. I want you to get that. This was a time when Moses was stepping into his purpose. God will never forget us or forsake us regardless of what we may do. You know, I love Paul's letters to his young son, Timothy, in the gospel. He writes him two letters in the second one, verse 2 and verse, thir uh, verse, verse 13, uh, chapter 2 and verse 13. He writes him this, and I love it. Listen to this, how powerful this is. If we are faithless, if we don't have any faith, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Lord, I messed up. And God says, I haven't. Lord, I need forgiveness. Can you help me? I can. Lord, I've fallen. I'll help you up. But Lord, I've been unfaithful. It doesn't matter. I can't deny who I am. I'm faithful. I had somebody write in the book of Hebrews that I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Somebody needs to get happy about that right now. 
because that's what you need to hear during this time of pandemic and during this time of fear that God has not gone into hiding in exile. He's not afraid of what's happening right now. He is with us. He is with us. The one who loves you most can do anything except love you more. <laughs> he can't love you more. I love the way one of the early church fathers put it. He said, I fled from God and God came with me. I told my wife if she ever left me pack two suitcases I was going with her. She may be able to live without me but I can't live without her and I can't live without the love of the Father. Amen. Come on somebody. David said it this way, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I take the wings of morning you're there. If I make my bed in hell you're there. You're just there. See God cannot betray God's own character. God cannot do anything that is unloving. God is absolute. God cannot do anything unholy. God is holy. And if we're faithless, He remains faithful because He is absolute. Say absolute. He's absolute love. Would everybody clap their hands and rejoice on that God today? We humans are susceptible to the power of evil. Everyone needs to be reminded you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not common and you're not alone. And the third thing that's easy for us to understand. It's easy for us to feel unlovable because of our failure and because of our sins. We feel unloved. Much of our love is performance-based. You know that. Except maybe if you're a parent and it's your kids. Or if you're a grandparent and it's your kids. My kids will break up any, my grandkids will break up any meeting that I'm in. Just let them walk in and I say, hey, stop the show. Let's stop it right now. These kids need my attention. And I don't care if you don't like that. That's not pretend. That's real stuff. We know God's high standard, His holiness, which then causes us to feel like we don't measure up. So we reject His love from a place of feeling unlovable. I remember when our kids were home and what beautiful days we had with our girls. We had beautiful days. But many times I would come in, always through the laundry room, through the house, and I would be, uh, I'd be sweated down, perhaps from working, or perhaps doing what I enjoy, playing golf. And I'd just be, I'd just be sweaty. It, you know, 103, 104 has always been in Austin. And so I'd walk in, and Patty would want to hug me. I love that. And our girls would go, ooh, mama, make him get a shower. And I'd say, turn your head, kids. This is going to take a while. And Patty would hug me, sweaty and dirty and not showered. Let me tell you a story. In Luke 15, there's a prodigal son. I'm fixing to preach now. Imagine him fresh from a pig pen. To a prodigal father waiting on him to hug him. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, it's not going to be on the screen, but you can look it up. 18 through 21 is the verses. If someone has a stubborn son, the Bible says, who does not obey his father and his mother, and he will not listen when disciplined, his father and mother shall bring him to the elders of the city. And they shall say, This son of ours is stubborn, rebellious. He will not obey. He's a glutton and he's a drunkard. 
This is all. Then all the men of the town shall stone that boy to death. Evil must be purged from among you. Everyone will hear of it and be afraid. That's the law. That's the law. Pig pen was an intentional word picture that Jesus used to show that the son has gone as low as he could go because no animal was so disgusting as a pig to Jewish culture. And this man was sleeping with them and eating with pigs, and they were eating the corn and he was eating the husk. He didn't even get the best part of the, the ear of corn. Yet all that mattered to the father was that his son was home. Now what he had done, no matter what he had done or where he had been. And the prodigal father fell on the son to shield him from perhaps the stones of the city elders. Because they probably were ready to do their deed. But the boy was home. What I'm trying to tell you is that God is crazy about you, even if you've been out there dirtying yourself up, sinning, making all kinds of horrible mistakes, God still loves you. And He has abandoned all hesitations and all apprehensions and is completely committed to love you with an everlasting love. Can anybody get a grip on that today? Anybody. He's not ashamed of us. He's not going to abandon us. Even when he doesn't approve of what we've done, he still approves of what he made in you. And he'll be there for you. So the Father is really waiting on our decision. I'll put him in a place that he needs to be. He's waiting on our decision. He already knows his next move. My question is, what's your next move? What are you going to do about a Father that loves you unconditionally? Somebody that would never throw you away. Somebody that would never put you in a place. Somebody that would never hide from you. Someone who would never walk away from you. What are you going to do about that kind of dad? What are you going to do about that kind of father? There's a place in Death Valley here in America. It's called Dante's View. And from this location one can look down to the lowest spot in the United States of America, 282 feet. This way below sea level is the lowest spot in North America. United States. And then you can turn your head and look at the heights of Mount Whitney, 14,500 feet in height. This place is called Badwater. That place is called the biggest mountain in all the 48 continental states. What I'm trying to tell you is you've got to make a decision. You're standing at Dante's view. You're standing in the house of God. You've come to the house of God. You need to make a choice today. You need to make a choice. I'm not going there. I'm going there. I'm not going down. I'm going up. I'm not going under. I'm going over. I'm not going to defy Him. I'm going to cry out to Him. I'm not going to not love Him. I'm going to fall in love with Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Every person must make his decision, her decision of what they're going to do with this, this man called Jesus. We have scheduled a baptism time, and if you have never been water baptized, you need to put your name down and come be a part of that. You need to step up and identify yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. I'm so glad that I identified. Pastor, why do you believe in baptism? Because Jesus did it, and He didn't have any sin. That's the biggest reason. But it also remits our sin. It always 
puts us on a brand new journey. And there's nothing like water baptism. There's a difference, folks, between a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. The lost sheep and lost coin are not responsible for making decisions. The shepherd goes out and finds the lost sheep. The woman sweeps the house and finds the lost coin. But the father, the father, he waits, he waits on the lost boy to make his own decision. Bad water or come home to the father. The father welcomed him back unconditionally. The Bible said, seeing him afar off, the father ran and had compassion on him and embraced him and kissed him. The son started this litany of confession. Dad, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father did not give the son opportunity to finish that carefully rehearsed speech. He said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. The robe was a symbol of honor. Put a ring on his hand. The ring was a symbol of authority. Put shoes on his feet. Slaves went barefoot. Sons wore shoes. And then he said, kill the fatted calf. I may by, I'm a, might be about to lose my mind right here preaching. I've been preaching this story for 50 years. And I received something the other day just through simple study. God opened this thing up to me. In the ancient world, there was no possibility for preserving meat. You had to kill, you had to eat, and throw away the remainder. And when guests came to a home, an animal was killed so that all of it could be eaten by the guests. All of it. So, it, like if one other family came, it would be appropriate to kill a chicken, perhaps two, or a couple of pigeons to feed the family. If two families came, it might be appropriate to kill a duck or a goose, or perhaps two of those. If more came, it would be appropriate to kill a goat or a lamb. But when you kill the fatty calf, when you kill the fatty calf, the whole village was welcome. Jesus loves people to come to him so greatly. That when prodigals come home, he invites the whole village. He doesn't invite one family, two families, three He wants the whole village to see it. My boy that was lost is now found. I want everybody to come and rejoice with us. And if we have to, we'll, we'll kill two fatted calves. But the whole village is welcome. I want everybody to know that Joe got saved on Sunday. I want everybody to know that Bill came to my life on Sunday. I want everybody to know that my boy who was lost, my daughter who was lost is now found. <laughs> the Bible said there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. One sinner. And there was even further significance in the killing of the fatted calf. The actual slaughter of the animal would take place at the front door of the father's house. Not out in the barn. At the front door. And so there would be blood that would be spilled. 
And when a guest would step across the blood of the animal that had been slain, it was a sign that their past had been left behind them. And there was a new covenant, a new relationship between the host and the guest. It's a new day. So when the prodigal stepped across and over the blood of the animal, it was a sign of the Father's total and complete acceptance and forgiveness of that young man. Unconditional love is what the Father had. And unconditional love can change our lives. I got to stop. I got to close. Jesus is resurrected. And he, uh, he goes looking for his boys. And seven of them have gone fishing at the Sea of Galilee. And they fished all night, didn't catch anything. And when they wake, when they look on the shore in the morning, they see a figure. Somebody said, It's Jesus. Peter jumps in the water and swims to him. And when they get there, they caught 153 fish when he said, Cast your nets on the other side. When they get there, the, the Lord is making fish and he's making them breakfast. They had fish and bread for breakfast. That's my kind of Jesus. Only I love cheeseburgers for breakfast. That's my kind of Jesus. And so when, when breakfast is over, Jesus pulls Simon over to him. And he knows Simon's messed up, you know. He knows he's messed up. He denied him three times at the fire. He cut a servant's ear off in the garden. He's messed up. And he said, Simon, John 21, do you agape me? Do you love me? He used the word agape. Do you unconditionally love me? And Simon said, yes, Lord, you know that I filio, you know I brotherly love you. I filio, it's a different word. You know I love you, filio, brotherly love. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me? And Simon once again said, Lord, you know I filio you, I brotherly love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you filio me? Jesus used the word that Simon had been using. And Simon was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. It wasn't the third time so much that hurt, but how he asked him. He came from agape to filio. And Simon said, Lord, you know I filio you. I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Here's the point. When Jesus could not get Peter to come to the highest level of love, agape, he came to Peter with filio love. Brotherly love, saying, I will come down to your level. I will love you at the level you can love until I can take you to the level that I want you to love. He loves us so much, he'll come to where we are with him to get us to say these four words, I love you Lord. I know this is not one of those sermons that you can get up and clout and jump up and down. But I want to declare to you if you ever have an encounter with Jesus don't you ever think he's the one holding back. Don't you ever think he's the one that's stomping on you. 
He'll keep handing you agape love or filial love until you come to where he is with you. He wants you to love him unconditionally. Say it with me. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Randy, if you'll help me. So a son asked his dad one day, in closing, Dad, do you suppose somewhere in the world there's a sign that says trespassing? And his dad asked what he meant. He said, that sign over there says no trespassing. Is there a sign somewhere that just says trespassing? His dad laughed. They had fun imagining what it would be like one night to change all the no signs to yes signs. The no trespassing signs to trespassing signs. The private keep out signs to public come in signs. The stop signs to go signs. The no parking to parking. The danger to safety. It's an amusing thought, isn't it? Can I tell you? The church that Jesus built changes all the language of the world. Hate is not here. There's a new sign called love. Anger is not here. There's a new sign called joy. Law is not here. There's a new day called grace. And judgment is not here. But mercy reigns. Somebody, somebody asked me, do you ever get tired of preaching about the grace of God and the love of God? I said, there's not anything else to preach. There's nothing else to preach. If this is not it, then we're all just spinning our wheels. Hey, here's the, here's the beauty of the Savior I preach about. Here's the beauty of the Savior I preach about. He will let you run as long as you want to run. But when you come to yourself, and when you say, I'm tired of running, <laughs> don't think He'll be behind the crowd coming to get you. He'll be leading the crowd coming to get you. And he'll have already a fatted calf waiting on you and a ring and a robe and shoes. That's the Jesus I preach about. That's the Savior I declare, and that's the one I brag on every Sunday. He is all in all in my life. And I love him. And the the staff will be proud I got through on time in the first service. Would you stand all over the building? Would you raise your hands to the Lord like this and use this kind of language? Say, Lord, I agape you. I love you unconditionally. We've been in a hard time. Say it, we've been in a hard time. I felt low in my house being quarantined but it's so nice to come to church today and lift up my hands and know when I tell you that I love you with an agape heart you've been loving me that way 
all my life. I love you today, Lord. I give myself to you. Thank you for a house of grace. Thank you for a house of mercy. Thank you for a house of joy. Thank you for a house of love. Bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want you to repeat this after me. If you need the Lord, if you need to re-up yourself with Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Everybody pray it together so nobody will be embarrassed. Dear Jesus, I love you today, and I need your hand on my life. I need your healing. I need salvation. I need forgiveness. Wash me, Lord. Cleanse me today and make me whole. For you are a whole God. I want to be whole like you. In Jesus' name, I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I receive all you have for me today. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Clap your hands real big right now all over the house. Clap your hands. Clap your hands. Amen. Amen.